your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Purdue Week here on Off Topical Empire, your source for Big Ten football everything. We're here in Purdue Week of 2021, and well, the fact that it's still May and we're getting Purdue um, shows you that things didn't really go as planned last year, but of course the same can be said for literally everybody outside of Ohio State. You know, for a second there, <clears throat> that voice you had in the introduction, I thought you were angling for like a Bill Swarsky super fans kind of thing. But as you were, I was like, that's was, was funny. I was like, what is the what is the Indiana accent? Is there an Indiana accent? Uh, I, guess I mean, it, I guess in the northern, like the Chicago exurb part of Indiana, like the northern part of it, it's probably just Chicago. But rural Indiana is it gets to be indistinguishable from Kentucky. Ooh. Okay. All right. Well, that's, well have you ever driven through Indiana? It's all, I mean, it's all, yeah. you know, signs about abortion and a few about guns. I recall a lot of tourist traps, at least on the stretch of I-69 between the Michigan-Indiana border and Indianapolis. Oh, and there's also Tom Raper RVs. <laughs> oh my God. I do remember that. Yes. That's, oh, geez. Oh yeah, man. I, it's a painful state to drive through. Like you don't think you don't think about it when you're looking at a map of a trip because it's skinnier than either of the states next to it. And it's not as tall as Illinois, um, but it is uh, it is a chore to drive through, man. Um, well, wait. Anyway, wait. Seriously, Tom Raper RV has been gone since 2015. I haven't made that drive in a while. Um, That's upsetting. But- <laughs> Is it though? I, I think we're okay without that. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, as I was doing the research for Purdue Week here on B1G2021, I was racking my brain because I recall that some point last season, someone, somewhere, some media outlet, some Big Ten focused media outlet, somebody ventured the bold opinion that hiring Bob Diaco was a really super bad idea. Do you remember, Steve, who it was that declared that like from the beginning, like a, like a me, like as it happened, and also the entire time it was happening? Who was on the this is a bad idea, you should not do this Jeff Brom train with Diaco from the beginning? Well, was it, in, was it in fact this very program? It absolutely was. He even went so far as to say that, um, that that was one of the first things that, you know, Jeff Brom's had a hard time following up. Um, won his inaugural season taking Daryl Hazel's boys to a bowl game. And then two, you know, the following year beating Ohio state and, you know, looking really competitive. He's had a hard time following that up, but there've been a lot of things that have kind of been out of his control, but that was one of the first things where we said, Hey, this could be an indication that like, you know, this is not the kind of decision that like a a guy who is going to, excel at running a program the program management aspect of a head coaching job in the big 10 uh would make like this yeah, this, this is the first really this is first what we would call like a really big misstep that you really can't explain away yeah because and we we talked about this i remember when the story broke that indiana had fired archie miller because what we said at the time was man it, it is hard to hire 
to know who the right coach is to hire because on paper, Archie Miller was great. Um, he had, he checked all the boxes, had local ties, had national ties, great recruiting history, good success at his last stop, which was right nearby. Um, it should have been, it was a home run on paper and it was a disaster in practice. So with the, with the premise that hire, hiring the right coach is hard, I do also submit that in some cases, not hiring a bad coach should be easy. When a guy has a track record, you, you should be able to rule some guys out on your guess who board right away, right? Um, and the fact that you might not be able to get, to get it exactly right, you shouldn't be repeating somebody else's mistakes with coaching hires, especially if they've got more than one disastrous previous stop as, as Diaco did. And make no mistake, they, they were so bad defensively, it had to be done. So on the one hand, you are relieved that Jeff Brom saw okay, I, I fucked up. I got to get this guy out of here or he's getting me fired along with himself. You don't often see coaches replace assistants after one year. So credit to him for doing that. But like, also he's the guy that hired him. Yeah, for sure. And, that, and so you have to keep that in mind when you're weighing optimism um, about new defensive coordinator, Brad Lambert. He has defense, he has decent experience. It, it's entirely possible that he could be an upgrade. But after that last hire, uh, anything that Brom does from a coaching staff standpoint is going to get a little bit of a squinty eye from us for a while until we show until he still shows us that he can that he's deserving of a little bit of trust on that front again. Yeah, Purdue uh, by all means really should have lost to Illinois with their four string quarterback in there, and would have had he not made four turnovers like at like in with several inside his own twenty. They allowed like like over 400 yards of offense to one Illinois last year and two Illinois last year with Karan Taylor as the quarterback. Yeah, and so nobody else but Scott Frost gave up that many yards to uh, to Illinois. And boy, you know, you're talking about being compared to Scott Frost. Um, yeesh. Right, and so they're. Their overall body of work last year is obviously short. They lost a number of games, even in the shortened Big Ten schedule because of COVID, only played six, and they go two and four. But the thing is, they won their first two games. One of the, the first game was against Iowa, which, as we remember, stumbled badly out of the gate and then got much better as the season went on. The second win, as you mentioned, was over an Illinois team that did everything they possibly could to make the crucially timed mistakes to let to let Purdue win even though their defense could not stop the Coran Taylor Illinois offense and then after that they get swept the rest of the season um close games like they never lost a game by more than 10 points but still uh those last two games they give up 37 to Rutgers and 37 to Nebraska uh and those, that, that's a couple of that is a couple of serious indictments of your defensive coaching staff so you really hope that the new defensive coordinator helps Look, George court Carl Aftis is back and he's a star defensive end when he's healthy, they got to keep him healthy. And we always say that like, Oh, you got to keep that player healthy. What do you want him to do differently? It's not like they're, it's not like they're having him, you know, go out and dig up tree stumps Monday through Wednesday as conditioning or something like they're, presumably they're doing everything they can. It's a crapshoot, man. It really is a crapshoot. 
Yeah, um, we, we always talk about it like, oh, man, you know, if this team could get together and just have their quarterback stop tearing their ACLs, they'd be pretty good. It's like, OK, I don't know what you want them to do differently, I, unless it's like a practice surface thing, which I don't think has ever been said in this case. So anyway, sorry. For I mean, aside. even when you look at players that you perceive to be injury prone, I mean, you actually look at what they're doing a lot of time because, you know, spent a lot of soul searching with the Mike Dudek situation and um, none of those injuries he retore the ace, the one ACL one time, and then he had season ending injuries that had nothing to do with that original one. I have no idea what he could have done anything about. No. And for the most part, that's true. Um, I, here's, here's what, here's what I would say, which is that occasionally, occasionally you get something where, uh, let me just ask you, I think the best way to phrase this, is to just ask you this. Do you recall the name of Joel Zumaya? Yes. The, the, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's, that's what you should have in mind if you want to describe a guy as injury prone. Okay. Because that's. You know why I remember him, right? Uh, probably something involving the White Sox. No, no. I remember him specifically being unavailable for the World Series because he had developed carpal tunnel playing guitar hero. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's not even the whole thing. Um, he, after, after the, in the summer, after the 2007 year, he injured his shoulder um, helping his dad move boxes. Um, and then, while they were moving these boxes, a box fell on him and separated his shoulder. And so he wasn't able to start, like he missed like the first two and a half, three months of the season because of that. Um and then, yeah, he, in 2006, uh, the Tigers were making their World Series run. Well, that was only, that could only have been a few years after Sammy Sosa sneezed his labrum off the bone. <laughs> well, that's kind of a different thing, but it's just, yeah. So that's what I have in mind when I think of somebody as being injury prone. If a guy just gets hurt multiple times, unless it's, again, like, my understanding is that if a pitcher has had Tommy John, it does make them more likely to have to have it again at some point in the future. Okay, so, fine. So in that case, maybe it's different. But if you're talking about again, a guy like tearing his ACL or breaking a leg or something, it's a little bit different. So anyway, all that is to say, we talk about how much it would help Purdue to keep George Karlaftis healthy. Yes, of course, it would in all situations. And the team probably isn't doing anything that is that is making that a problem. Um, that being said, you know, last season, we talked about this defense as having, you know, they've Got some, they've recruited some guys that, you know, they've had better linebacker play recently, um, but they brought in some transfers this season that did seem to acknowledge that they're a little shorthanded on defense. Um, so they've gone to the portal. You might see CJ McWilliams from Florida. You might see Joseph Anderson defensive end from South Carolina. You could see Octavius brothers, a linebacker from Auburn. So what a name. I expect there to be eight of him though. <laughs> the Octavius brothers and also three other dudes make up the starting defense. I mean, yeah. Talk about a way to get around scholarship limits, right? If you could, if you could finagle it with the NCAA that you list all eight brothers players as one guy, <laughs> uh, boy. Yeah. So they'll have a few new faces on defense. They do have Carl Aftis coming back. His brother Yanni is the jewel of the incoming recruiting class. Um, they still have you know, Marvin Grant in the back end. So they've got some pieces. They really need this new coordinator, Brad Lambert, to put them together quickly. 
Um, looking at the other side of the ball, uh, Rondale Moore, I think a second round pick. Am I right? Um, yep. In the recent draft. So a little bit dis- pretty think- early in the second round though. Yeah. And you think back to his coming out party, which I think was the Ohio state game that we talked about earlier. Um, Purdue kicked the shit out of Ohio state. People forget that after that game, I think it was fair to assume you had the vibe. Like this guy is going to be a huge star. He's going to do big things for Purdue. He's going to be the kind of guy that you think about like 10 years later, like, oh man, remember whatever happens to him in the pros. Like remember Rondale Moore, the Rondale Moore seasons at Purdue. And um, the, Purdue fans didn't really get that because as a result of injuries in his sophomore year, and then he opted out and then he opted back in and then he had a mysterious lower body injury. So he played like a few games this season, but not very much. So that's a little bit of a disappointment. Um, silver lining, of course, is that they did get to see the superstar turn of David Bell in his place. Um, so they get another season of him. He figures to be an early entrance to the draft as well. Um, Blasphemy, of course, to say anything that you could say negative about Rondale Moore, but I think David Bell is definitely more consistent. Yeah, he's, as again, not like this is really anything that a guy can control most of the time, but you always hear the talking heads, particularly in the NFL, babble about how availability is a skill. I don't think that's totally true, like unless you're just completely neglecting conditioning and training. But it's true that a guy who plays 12 games, even if he's not quite the same dynamo as a guy who as on an individual play for play basis, if you get 500 snaps out of him instead of 100, he's going to have a bigger impact on your team. And I don't think there's that big of a difference in the physical abilities of David Bell and Rondale Moore. They're very different receivers. Uh, but given that Purdue has actually gotten to play David Bell for all the last two seasons, I think it's totally a fair thing to say that they got more out of him. Um, as far as the run game goes, it was pretty much all Xander Horvath last year. I think he resolved some doubts about them. I mean, he went for a clean five yards of pop last season. Um, does feel like they could use a little bit more explosiveness out of the run game. But he was a capable receiver as well. I mean, there's a, there are a couple of games he's got like eight, ten catches. And he's just not the kind of guy that you think of as having that kind of versatility. But really, they I don't need think to. This... They need to be what they need to do to be able to, especially to be able to survive um, some of the weather conditions you find in the Midwest in the fall. Mm. Is that run game needs to be able to survive um, without being a changeup? Yeah, it, and we've we've seen that right, and that a few of these games that have gone south for Brom in the last couple of years. He, he alludes to it occasionally, I th- unless I'm making this up. I think he alludes to this occasionally in his post-game comments. He's like, oh, yeah, the weather out here is really affecting our ability to throw. Like, yeah, no shit. You play in central Indiana in November. Like, it's going to be kind of nasty if, a, a fair amount of the time. You can assume you're going to have three or four bad weather games at minimum playing in the Big Ten. Everybody thinks of the 80s Illini as a high-flying passing offense, but they won the Big Ten title behind a tremendous defense. Yeah. So there's always going to be value in being able to play in a little bit sloppier version of a game. Um, But speaking of the passing game, they, and basically I I think this has been the case every season Brom has been there. They're going to have a possible quarterback competition because once again, Aiden O'Connell got injured partway through last season, such that actually the, the passing volume was pretty much evenly distributed. So are you in the outline right now? I am. 
Go ahead and take a look there. I've set up a little test of knowledge for you. I wish we have a couple of stat lines. Everybody at home, you can play along with us. So I'll read these off for you. Quarterback A completed 88 out of 124 passes for 938 yards. That's 7.56 yards per attempt for eight touchdowns and two interceptions. Quarterback B completed 88 out of 136 passes for 916 yards, which is 6.73 yards per attempt with seven touchdowns and two interceptions. Uh, Hold on one second here. There was one other thing that I meant to include and I've got, so I'm going to scroll over to this real quick. Because those are similar enough numbers. Very similar numbers. That Although I would say I would start quarterback A, it would also be at that point helpful to have like sack info and rushing info because and it is yeah so um let me make sure i get this right okay because i forget, i literally looking at these i forget which one is it so um quarterback a took three sacks for a loss of 21 yards quarterback b took nine sacks for a total a loss of 78 so i'm guessing with that last piece of information you can probably guess who is who right I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. So I would say again. quarterback B is Aiden O'Connell only because he threw more passes. Right. He threw more passes and he took more sacks because Plummer is just an eensy little bit um, more mobile. Now, that being said, Purdue's two wins last season both came in games that O'Connell started. <laughs> they were 0 3 in games that Plummer started. So what do you do there? <laughs> well, it might have something to do with who they played, though. Yeah, it might, but keep in mind those last few games also included Rutgers in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, the schedule really didn't get a whole lot more difficult for Plummer than it did for O'Connell. And it's also fair to say their defense had was pretty well crumbling to pieces by the time Plummer took over. So that's, that's fair as well. But my point here, and I think it's a point that those numbers illustrate perfectly well, is that I don't know how you make that decision um, – they're probably fine there either way, but the, the quarterback play really has not been the problem. So let's talk about kind of the big picture here. And we've alluded to this in a couple of ways. You mentioned that it sort of feels like they had that, that promising debut season. They had the big win against Ohio state. And then even after that proof of concept moment, they haven't really taken the next step forward. Um, so in 2019, they had some absolutely devastating injury luck. I mean, remember they lost Sindelar, they lost, Barnes, they lost. They every player. They lost Sindelar and Moore in the same on the the same same play. play. Yeah, Yeah, on the same play early in the season, and they had tons of other injuries too. So I get that. You can write off 2019 for that reason. They had a few injuries in 2020 as well. We mentioned the O'Connell injury, and then COVID kind of screws everything's up. But those those excuses of why you haven't progressed are only going to carry so far here, and you can't help but get the sense. And again, this is coming from somebody who's been a big fan of Jeff Brown since he got there, that maybe the clock is ticking a little louder now. Um, recruiting did slip noticeably this season. The 2021 class is 76th nationally, which is good for dead last in the conference. Wait, are you shitting me? No, no, go he look it up right worse now. worse than by, Lovey Smith? Yeah, by the 24-7 composite. Um, Purdue has the 76th ranked class in the country, 14th in the Big Ten. And part of that could be, again, so this season, only bringing in five transfers is kind of a small number. Um, But yeah, they've got, 
Again, Yanni Karlaftis is the one blue chip. He's a four-star, but they don't have anybody else in terms of prep prospects inside the top 700 nationally. Oh, my God. Yeah, Illinois, 72. Purdue, 76. You got out-recruited by Lovey Smith. Well, Smith, and I think I think the current recruitings reflect the work that Bielema has done since he got there because he's picked up a few transfers. Um, but, yeah, no, that's, that's what the situation is right now. And, look, part of that's understandable because – they played a lot of the guys they recruited initially when they were young. Those guys are upperclassmen. They're established starters. There's not as much time available to pitch to blue chips to come in and contribute right away. But that doesn't stop other programs from recruiting better than that. Like, you, man, you're outside the top 70. That's rough. That's rough. Um, there's not going to be a whole night yet. But the point there is there's not going to be a lot of immediate help coming from the incoming class. They need, these, they need guys that they've been, they brought in and developed over the last few years to be better. Um, and they brought in some talent. Like, yeah, this, well, they did. And again, that's that's that recruiting position stands in contrast to the fact that last year they had the 32, the 32nd ranked class nationally. I'm going to go back a little bit further here. Um, 2019, they had the 25th ranked class nationally. That was good for fifth in the Big Ten. Um, I'll go back one more. A yeah, year before that was 52nd, but I think that was really his first major recruiting class that he was in on from the beginning. So, and we're not ready to talk hot seat yet, but it's fair to say that it is now put up or shut up time, i.e. Yeah. Yeah. better produce this year or we're going to have to stop talking about how impressive he is because it'll be deeply unimpressive if they can't, you know, win at least six games this year. I'm already, I am already back in a little bit of a show me again mode with him because of yeah. how much of a disaster that Diaco hire was like that is a terrible lapse in judgment. That, that's um, indefensible. Yeah, but again, that being said, I still hope we can pull it out. I have no particular axe to grind against Purdue one way or another. I know they don't feel the same way because of Brandon Dawson hate. But um, anyway, yeah, at some point. I just want the goddamn cannon. Uh, I don't care what they do outside of that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, speaking of Brandon Dawson, we'll take that as a perfect opportunity. Oh, we haven't talked about this schedule, though. I don't want to there to talk about, man. well, they got Oregon State at UConn and at Notre Dame, um, and they've got crossovers with Michigan State, Ohio State, and, of course, the legendary bucket game. Sure. So the crossovers in conference are tougher than they would be for most people. Um, that permanent matchup with Indiana is a little bit a little bit less desirable than it used it's all, to be. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, that's looking tough. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's like the, the guy that you used to fight and argue with all the time in high school comes back after one summer with a beard. And it's like, Oh hell. Um, <laughs> uh, the Ohio state game is obviously suboptimal as well. There's really nobody left on the Ohio state roster who is going to remember or have any particular vengeance for Purdue in their hearts. I don't think, but um, I suppose you never can tell the non-conference games. You, you, you look at Notre Dame as a probable loss. UConn is a near definite win and Oregon state as a, who the hell can say, I don't know if they're any good or not. They're Oregon state. They, well, you got them at home. So yeah, not only are they in the pac 12, but they're a bad pac 12 team. So, and they had some interesting things happen offensively, but those players are all gone now. Yeah. I remember Jamar Jefferson just got drafted. And Jake Luton. Um, yeah. was also the, the previous year, but now they open up big 10 play at home against Illinois. That's a game you have to win. Um, yeah, at okay. Nebra- I mean, they're that's their easiest game, but also they're at Nebraska. Like that's their other easiest game, and they don't get that one at home. 
Yeah, and it's there's so many interesting parallels between Brahm and Frost because um, it, it feels like they're both coming to kind of a similar spot. Except I don't know if Purdue fans really have re- have really like, I don't think the worm has turned for him on on Brahm yet. The way that I, they seem like a less impatient sort than the Nebraska fan who's looking at Scott Frost like, all right, when are you going to turn us around? Um, they'll get there eventually, I'm sure. They got they certainly got there with Hazel and with Danny Hope. But especially in the case of Hazel, there was there's nothing early on to kind of buy them some time. He started um, out terrible and stayed terrible. Yeah. Brom at least started off promising and that bought him some time. But how much? I think it's fair to wonder. So, uh, yeah, of course, they also do have Michigan State at home. But boy, if I were a program that where my team just could not function in bad weather, that's not the winnable game that I want to be on my schedule. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, why don't you go ahead and tell me what the date on that game is. That's November 6th. <laughs> Bet the house on Michigan state folks. Uh, <laughs> Cause we're going to wheel out the old Mark Hollis weather machine. Um, hopefully we didn't let him take that into retirement. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those are two, there's a two home games that in Illinois and Michigan state that you really can't afford to lose this year. No, and they're, but they are losable games. If you don't fix this defense, you could let anybody put 30, 35 points on you. Because um, with, with Illinois, if they run the ball effectively, like we've said that they might be able to, then what's Purdue going to do with 20 minutes of possession? Yeah, I, that's honestly the Illinois game would be more concerning to me as a Purdue fan than Michigan State because I don't, I don't know – what the outcome is that like, I don't know what the what a really good Michigan State offense looks like this year I mean I do in a way because their receivers are probably the best group on the whole team but they have a quarterback competition right now like, I don't know if they're gonna have a guy who can take advantage of those players and if their offensive line isn't better why don't you just drop seven in the coverage every play like you know uh, so anyway um yeah I agree that those are definitely a couple games that Brom has got to win it's just funny how You've got Frost, who's in a similar position, has games he's got to win. I don't think P.J. Fleck is there yet because that fan base was so head over heels in love with him. He's probably got another couple disappointing years before the heat really turns up. Um, well, and I mean, I, nobody's going to take that much stock of 2020 being weird for Minnesota. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I do. But I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of questions asked about the long-term future of this program if you lose the cannon at home under sunny skies. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I can't help but think if maybe that maybe it's important for Purdue to get out to a good start here, precisely because they've shown a certain proclivity to breaking down in bad weather. Because, um, again, as the season goes on, more likely that you're going to be playing in the rain, the wind, the snow. So, all right, now we're going to pivot to basketball. I, I can't believe, I can't believe, you derailed that segue I had set up so perfectly. I had managed to bring Brandon Dawson into a football conversation, and you just wanted to talk about their non-conference game with UConn. You, you just can't let UConn go, can you? Hell no. Um, I mean, we didn't actually lose to them, but boy, we sure tried. <laughs> yeah, so a little bit more optimistic picture for Purdue on the hardwood, where I think it felt like they were a year ahead of the expected schedule to be competitive again. Um, they forced their way into the double buy in the Big Ten tournament. That being said, they did also 
take another high seed first round NCAA tournament upset. Again, a 413 is not the kind of thing that people are going to remember unless you dislike Purdue basketball and you want to catalog that in your data set. Um, but they were not the better team against North Texas. That was not a fluke win at all. If they play that game 10 times, I think each team probably wins five or maybe Purdue wins six and North Texas wins four. Um, there was nothing fluky about it. And it's uh, not the first time it's happened to Painter as a big favorite in the tournament. So, But uh, we also need to be a little fair to say, and say that they were coming off of, what, three, four straight Sweet 16s? I don't recall. I don't think that's the case, but you could be right. I don't think that's the case. Um, I'll figure that out. You carry on. Go through the personnel a little bit, and I'll look that up because I'm curious. Well, because... Yeah, the thing is, because they kind of overachieved relative to expectations based on how young they were, it it, it meant that they got they got to a little higher of a plateau for them to fall off of, and they fell hard. Uh, but yeah, that's I suppose that's fair to say, which is because they maybe that their actual ability, especially their experience, that you would not expect a team with that experience and that kind of profile that way to work their way up to a four seed that maybe they just played themselves but that if their seed was lower they would have had a weaker or a stronger first round opponent so but out of all of the huge big 10 dick trips this has got to be the least painful because you can almost view it as a freebie because everybody comes back and it was a, the year was a good proof of concept uh Jaden Ivy was kind of a revelation as a freshman uh, he looks like a guy that can be the centerpiece of the offense in the future here. Um, Stefanovic, they still have, who's still a very good shooter. Um, and, of course, they did finally go to the very tall guy in Zach Eady, right? Um, right. So they're, they're sealing for next year. Okay, so, yeah, no, you're right. Well, so they're making sweet 16s and they're losing. Um yeah, so going back to when they the other thing was they were upset as a as a five um, in the 2016 tournament by Arkansas Little Rock, and then yes, three Sweet 16s in a row after that, including the Elite Eight in 2019 um, when they lost to event to Virginia. I is that I can't. There's nothing I can say about that. What sounded completely arrogant, and given where my basketball team is right now, I'm just going to leave it. Um, if that's good enough okay, fine. Put the sweet 16 banners up in your gym and hope I never come. hope that if I ever come for a game, I'm sober because I feel like laughing at the banners that somebody that a team chooses to put up is a good way to get in a fight with a fan. So um, hopefully that, that opportunity ever comes to pass. Well, anyway, I just want to say that, yeah, the, the least painful big picture one, because it was the opposite of something like, especially like Iowa, where that was the team they'd been building to for the entire that's, brand yeah, tenure. So, and then it all ended in flames. Illinois felt like the best Illinois team in a generation, and that went up in flames quickly. Oh, you know, Ohio State felt uh, a bit like the same, not quite as, as much of a culmination of everything as Iowa, but, but with Purdue, it almost felt like a practice run. <laughs> kind of, yes. I, I suppose it's fair to say – that having overperformed to that extent, maybe you're playing with a little bit of house money. I still don't think you want to lose in the first round. Of, this of course, tournament. nobody and ever does. With a, with a nine a, a, a nine rank difference in your seed. Um, that's a big upset. It is. 
Um, and it's not the, not the first time. So what you're concerned about is, is that not evidence that when you do have the culmination season, um, perhaps the tournament approach, the way you handle that game is less than optimal and you're going to fumble it when you do have the big, we got to win something here opportunity. That's all I would point out. So, uh, but yeah, look, elephant in the room is whether or not Travion Williams comes back or not. Most people seem to think he's going to. Um, and the obvious reason there is his skill set does not fit the modern NBA. Um, he's a back to the back five. He does not shoot especially well from the outside. He is a terrible free throw shooter. So, and he's not as tall as Kofi. No, that's that's right. Although I will say he's a hell of a much better passer than Kofi Coburn is. <laughs> Coburn, yes. you don't say. Yeah, the term the term singularity doesn't quite capture the extent to which Coburn's not passing that ball out once you give it to him. But I mean, he's very good at scoring, so I get that. But Illinois also lost the game to Michigan State because he wouldn't pass. So. Um, Anyway, yes, but say, have you seen him try? <laughs> I haven't, and that's why I can't say one way or another. I, I'm sure you'd probably turn it over, but you only get better at stuff if you practice. And if you never try passing it, you're never going to get better at passing it. Um, so yeah, we, you ran through a few of the kind of the, the higher profile contributors. They have some a decent supporting cast, a young supporting cast with guys like Mason Gillis and Brandon Newman. Um, we'll see, I, you know, with, with these last couple classes they've had coming in. The guy that I was intrigued by was Ethan Morton because everyone said he's he's sort of this bigger combo guard type who has a fantastic eye for passing, but they basically didn't play him. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see if there's any kind of role for him. Um, they have a couple of guys going out in the portal, which would be Aaron Wheeler and Emmanuel Dolona. Those are a couple of front court guys who would play more of your four situation. Dolona's. I guess probably a five, which is why he's, he never played. Um, so if they have a vulnerability, they do, they are a little shorthanded at the power forward spot. So how do we fix that? Well, we bring in possibly the two best power forwards they've recruited in about the last decade, which would be Trey Kaufman. He's a top 35 guy and Caleb first, who's inside the top 60. I think first just won Mr. Basketball in Indiana. I think that came when I was looking up all the uh, recruiting stuff. Or did he come in second? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever your references you're making there, I don't understand it. Because um, his last name is First. Oh, I see. See, I'm looking right at it. And it spelled with a U, so I didn't even <laughs> make that um, But anyway, at First was a head-to-head recruiting win over Michigan State, so they'll, I'm sure he'll be a fan favorite because they're still, again, salty about stuff that happened 10, 12 years ago. Um, if Travion Williams comes back, which, again, I think most people think he will, I think Purdue is right there and, you know, I'd, I'd probably list Purdue. I'd list Michigan, depending on what happens. No, I, I can't really see Illinois being in that tier. I, I think it's really Purdue and Michigan at the top of the conference next year. We'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, there's still over 1,000 players in the transfer portal, so things could look very different. Um, but with Williams coming back, I think the expectations should be nothing less than putting some kind of banner in uh, the rafters. And no, I'm not talking about Sweet 16. Source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!